That does look pretty rad, to be honest. Real-time news. There's a Tetris Animal Droppings update uh, on Tetris 99 on Switch. It has been a hot minute since we played that. Breaking news. <laughs> Real-time. Folks, hello. How are you doing? Welcome back to Honey House Live Gaming and Tech Podcast. It is so good to see you. Episode 53. Record this a little bit late. Uh, but uh, we are 5-11-2020, and it is like uh, almost 9 o'clock p.m. in the evening. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're listening to some good tunes, playing some good games, and uh, having a good time. Appreciate you being here. Heinehouse.com is the website, of course. We talk about games, talk about tech. We talk about all kinds of fun, awesome stuff. And a big shout-out to the patrons right here. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Patrons, Yes. As always, folks, the show is completely funded and supported by the pledges given right here on Patreon. Thank you so much. Ground floor, main floor, game lofters up there. Thank you so much. Appreciate you all keeping the show alive during this, these crazy times. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about some gaming. I think I have more tech news than I do actually. I don't know, actually. I, for, I forgot. What do I know? I just work here. Uh, before we get into the show, actually... I want to show a few things. We talked about it a couple episodes ago. I placed an order, but folks, look. Wait, where is it? The merch has arrived. Yes, round of applause. Y'all need a coffee mug? I know you do. Sweet, right? How about it? So good. I love it. So cool. And we also have, hold on. I got it. I'm going to have to stand up for this. I'm going to just bring them all over. I'm going to just grab them all. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the boy? Where's the shirt? We have uh, t-shirts. Check this out. Steph got this one. Heine House. And green. It's beautiful. How about that? And then hoodies. Hoodies for everyone. You want to be, be warm and cozy and comfortable. Check it out. Boom. Oh, it's the hoodie right here. Got one in gray, charcoal. Then I got one here in black. Or I guess, actually, it's navy. I got it in navy. I want to switch it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Switch it up. How cool is that? So we just have uh, the Heine House logo for right now, uh, but it will be expanding in the future with other items and other different uh, logos and things like that. So, hey, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much. People on Discord have been posting. Actually, just heard from uh, Sawin and Weldon. They just posted a picture. They sent me a uh, sent me a DM showing that they got it. It arrived, so that's very very cool. Yeah, some some cool Heine House news. That's number one. Number two, the DJ streams, folks. I'm just coming out with it. The DJ streams are coming back. It's real, son. It's real. Last time I was DJing uh, live on Twitch was, I think, 2012 was the last time I was doing that. And uh, I did it heavily through 2010, 2011, 2012, but uh, they are coming back, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. I've been going through my set, pulling out my Newmark HDXs. It's an, it's an old-school digital turntable, but it has the real feel of a real vinyl turntable, which is why I love them. This is... We can get into the story maybe another time, but the turntables I have, the Newmark HDXs, it's, it's on the cusp of when when the technology was almost there 
and Serato was coming out and, and different software was being available to allow DJs to use controllers, but then control music that's inside their laptop, inside the box. But this was for the DJ in 2006 that was not ready to go straight all laptop yet. And uh, I was definitely one of them. And I, I thought it fit a great uh, uh, need for me. So I bought a pair of them, got a great deal on, on them uh, at Guitar Center. I remember they threw in some uh, gig cases or some uh, road ready cases for them too, which is really sweet. But yeah, anyway, they're coming back, man. We're going to DJ, have some fun, dance, electronica. We've got, I've got slow jams. I've got 70s, 80s, 90s hits. Um, and the new addition for this time around is I've got Vaporwave, uh, Future Funk, New Disco. I've got a bunch of other new genres that I'm really excited to jump in this spin. This is real mixing too, man. I'm, I'm going to be mixing them. I'm going to be matching up the beats. I'm going to be doing fills and effects live. Uh, it's really, really cool. You know, so uh, I encourage all of you to go over to my Twitch, give me a follow, and uh, be on the lookout. Very, very cool stuff there. So thank you so much. Um, let's jump right into this week in gaming history. What do you think? Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, ladies and gentlemen, this week in gaming history. This section of the show, we talk about games that came out in the past during the week that this podcast airs. So we're talking about May 11th through May 17th. How about some of these games? Maybe they, uh, they they spark your interest to take you back to nostalgia land. How about that? 1995, a big one rolling out. Round of applause. I'm going to break my number five button on my soundboard because the applause is going out of control. But ladies and gentlemen, in 1995, the Sega Saturn console. Whoa. The Sega Saturn. The Saturn. And of course, with all the launch games that came out with it too, just a few notable ones. Panzer Dragoon. Daytona, Clockwork Night, and a few others. 1995, great times. Taking you back. Wow. Um, moving forward a few years, 2017, <laughs> Minecraft Switch Edition. I know a lot of you got that one. How about that Minecraft uh, ray tracing that they're talking about? It looks pretty good, to be honest. And whatever happened to that Minecraft... Um, it was an update. It was a Minecraft update, something we saw at E3 last year or two years ago. No, well, there was there was Minecraft ray tracing, which was like a, a visual like ray tracing upgrade. But then remember, or was that a different game? It was like Minecraft RPG or something. There was a game that, that looked really cool. It was like co-op, Minecraft, Minecraft what? Yeah, I think so. It was Dungeons or something like that. Whatever happened to that? That looked really cool. Hopefully it still comes out. Yeah, that looked pretty great. I was like, oh, I, I would play that. I would get down with that. Pretty cool. Uh, May 12th, 1987, Kung Fu Master on the Atari 2600. 1989, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on NES in Japan. 2003, Grand Theft Auto Vice City on PC. One of the greatest, absolute greatest, in my opinion anyway, one of the greatest Grand Theft Auto games to ever come out. And no, it wasn't just because of the amazing soundtrack. That was maybe 99% of it, okay? So I don't want to hear it, okay? No, the soundtrack was dope. The commercials were awesome. The radio stations were incredible. I really feel like they had so much fun making that game. And you could really tell when you played it. It was just really a brilliant game. Uh, 2009, Contra Rebirth on Nintendo Wii Shop in uh, Japan. The Rebirth series of games are incredible. And we were very lucky the last night 
we sh actually shot a video of this. It's on my YouTube channel. The last night that the Wii was online, Steph and I sat down and we went through the Wii shop uh, with everyone and we were talking about, you know, what to get, what games to buy. What do we have? Like 2,000 points or 5,000 points? We had some crazy number that I had in my console. And uh, we had to spend it or we would have lost it that night, right? So we went in and bought all the Rebirth games and a few... Oh, we bought... Um, what's that fucking... The Sexy Poker. We bought... Yeah, of course we did. Why Why would we not? <gasps> sexy Poker. I'm surprised to even see that in the eShop, to be honest with you. Uh, 2015's Project Cars on Xbox One, PS4, and 2016's Doom on PC. Moving on to the next day. 20... Uh, not 20... How about May 13th, 1994, Outrunners on Genesis in Japan. That is really a, a fantastic game. I, I played that a lot in the arcades. I love the, the sprite scaling on that. Classic early Sega stuff. Uh, 1996, Super Mario RPG, folks. I'll, I'll do a round of applause for that. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, and I've said it before. I... Go go back in time, 95, 96, 97, and 98. Like that period for gaming was, uh, I mean, for me, it was like the golden years, to be honest, man. Like everyone has a different opinion of like what a golden, golden years of gaming are, but it was so special. We had so many groundbreaking console releases in that time. Think about it. From 94 to 98, just, just go look what happened. And how many great games came out? We had multi-generational consoles. I mean, we were still getting games from Super Nintendo, right? 64 had come out, but we were still getting games from the 64, uh, or um, Super Nintendo, and then we had the PlayStation 1 and the Saturn and all these. I mean, like, oh my gosh, it was unreal. On the cusp of learning about the new next generation Xbox and PlayStation 2. Oh my gosh. GameCube? GameCube coming out 2001? Oh my God, so good. Anyway, ranting aside. Side tangent, where was I? Uh, Mario RPG, yeah, great game. One of my favorites on the console. 1999, Konami Arcade Classics on PS1 in Japan. 2002, Star Wars uh, Jedi Starfighter on the original Xbox. And 2008, Wii Ski on Wii. Wait, what? Wii Ski? Wii Ski Woo Ski. <laughs> no. Reason I put this on, because I want to tell just a little story about Wii Ski. Uh, I own that game. I bought it when it came out and I actually went and hunted for it, searched for it. Reason being, in 2008, on the Nintendo Wii, we did not have a very large amount of games that were online, that, that featured online multiplayer just yet. We had some, but not a lot. So in the early days of Wii gaming, it was so cool to experience online play. I know it sounds sounds like I'm like a caveman discovering the rock right now, but seriously, you have to just put yourself back in that time and realize that online gaming for Wii was so rare. So when we saw a game that was featured online play, it would not be out of the ordinary for me to buy a few copies of it and then like, hey, here, give it to my friend or something. Like, hey, let's play online with this. Come on, let's do it real quick. Let's do it. And I would do that. And Whiskey was one of them. I bought a few copies, hooked them up with some friends, and we we played. And you know what? The game was okay. It wasn't great, but we were online playing. And it was fun. I know. I know. It's a weird story, but Whiskey, 2008. 
Uh, rest in peace, we online. We have a lot of actually we we news to talk about later about the about the leak, the hack. Oh my goodness! Wow, we have a lot to talk about. It's coming up right after this. Uh, t- uh, May fourteenth in two thousand one, Crazy Taxi. Let's go make them crazy, buddy. On PS two. Um, two thousand nine. Killing Floor on PC. There's a little smile over there I see from Steph. Uh, quick tangent on that one. So Steph was like, come on, play Killing Floor with me. It's a really fun game. You'll like it. It's a first-person shooter. That's how she reels me in. She says, it's a first-person shooter. Oh, what? I'm like a puppy dog. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> so I played it. <clears throat> I don't want to say it too loud or like be really annoying to you, Steph, or anything, but... The game felt like we were running through molasses. I hated it. And I'm sorry. Now, Killing Floor 2, completely different story. That game is awesome. It's so much better. I don't know. I, I give it, you know, at this point, I'm just talking shit. But it, it was okay. But it was a really slow game. And I did not enjoy it. I just felt like the pacing was really, really slow. Again, it's one of those games where, like, let's just run away from zombies, but the zombies and or whatever, the hordes of enemies run four times faster than me, and I can't get away. They just fucking attack me and kill me instantly. Like, I don't have, I can't get away. What's the hell? An old school charm. I'll give it that. Yeah, it does. It does. But Killing Floor 2 is where it's at. For me, anyway, that's just my messed up opinion. Um, 2013's Metro Last Light on 360 PS3 and 2019's Rage 2. Oh my God. Remember that? That was last year. Rage 2 on Xbox One and PS4. I read an article about that. It's like they were developing it, but it took so long to develop. But by the time they released it, it was already outdated type of thing. And it sucks, right? It didn't feature multiplayer. I don't think it had co-op, right? It had, it was something weird with it that it was just like, it didn't have the features that people wanted in the game today. And they started developing it like what, six, seven years ago or something crazy. Oh, nuts. Uh, move on to the next day, May 15th, 1995 road rash three on Genesis 2006 new super Mario bros on the DS. It's new super Mario bros. Imagine going into, you know, your local game store right now. And they're like, what game are you looking? Cause you know, they're always like, Hey, what, what are you looking for? What can I help you with? And you're like, I'm looking for the new super Mario bros. New Super Mario Bros. And then when they give you like whatever the newest Mario Bros, you're like, no, I'm looking for new Super Mario Bros. They're like, bro, this is a new Super Mario Bro, bro. And you're like, no, bro, not this bro. I want this new Super Mario Bro, not the bro broski newski. I want the old bro, but new bro. See what I'm saying, Nintendo? Yeah, you screwed the pooch on that one. We knew that was going to happen back in the day. We talked about it. 2007, Etrian Odyssey on DS. A couple of great DS games there, though. 2012's Diablo 3. Steph, what, 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 what? Hold on. Whoop, whoop. Diablo 3, PC. And 2018's Horizon Chase Turbo on PS4 was released. Great game. Uh, May 16th in 2001, Project Justice on Dreamcast. And 2019's Castlevania Anniversary Collection on the Switch and PS4. And finally, the final day here on May 17th in 1991, Super Bases Loaded for Super Nintendo in Japan. 
2011's Fable 3 on PC, and 2016's Wild Arms 3 on PS4. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. You didn't really have a choice, did you? Well, actually, you did. You had to turn this shit right off. <laughs> but I appreciate you listening. This week in gaming history. Where's my fucking applause? There you are. Jeez. <laughs> My soundboard's like, I'm not awake yet. Don't make me work. I'm not awake yet. Uh, let's talk about some gaming stuff. We actually have a lot of Nintendo on here today because a couple of weeks ago they got hacked or uh, yeah, their security was compromised. We all had to change our passwords. I encouraged everyone to do this. I hope you have. I went through, changed my password, enabled um, two-step verification, all that sort of thing. You know, you all should do that. So Nintendo's like, oh gosh. And then all of a sudden we have this that happens this week. One of, honestly, this is probably one of the biggest leaks ever to happen. Uh, well, for Nintendo specifically, but in video gaming in general, this is going to go down in history, folks. Uh, so yeah, remember last week we talked, or two weeks ago we talked about your password. This is not related to that. So your passwords and all that are safe. This is different. Um, Reset Era user by the name of Ethereos explains exactly what the fuss is about. I took some articles and put in some text from them so that I could tell you exactly how it went down. So Ethereos on Reset Era said this, as you may be aware in the last few weeks in 4chan, multiple Nintendo related old things have been leaking starting from old Pokemon debug ROMs and source code then most recently 3DS debug ROMs, then keys for all the consoles up until the Nintendo DSi, and now, this last week, biggest of them all, the full source code, design files, documentation, and pretty much everything used to create the revolution, aka the Wii, has been leaked online. So how did this happen? That's the number one question. How in the fuck did this happen? The servers at a company called Broadon were supposedly hacked. So this company, Broadon, was hired by Nintendo during the Wii generation to develop both hardware and software. Uh, this post then goes on to explain how the biggest and craziest thing about it are the data sheets, the block diagrams, and the Verilog files for every single component. Folks, this is basically the complete breakdown and then some of every single bit to the Wii, to the component level. It's insane. Like, basically, this is data and files that Nintendo... I'm, I'm crazy. It's crazy that it got hacked. They definitely do not want this out there. Insane. Uh, the biggest one is the Verilog files. Verilog file is a hardware description language. It's used to describe circuits via code. So with all of this out there, basically, if you're smart enough and understand this sort of thing, the public can then see every single piece of the Wii and how it was made. There's even some GameCube and IQ stuff in there. Remember the IQ? That was that uh, Panasonic IQ. It was a GameCube. Very expensive. I know Gamester's got one. I've seen it. It's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, 
Let's see what else was in here. So there's some people playing. There's some video footage on, on YouTube of people playing these uh, debug ROMs. There's some crazy games in there for like, you know, checking uh, Nintendo uh, GameCube stuff um, and Wii Store stuff. You can look it up online. It's all over the place. There's some demos in there. A Nintendo 64 demo, debug ROMs. It's all been uploaded. So why is this big news? So basically, everything about the Wii has now been out there. And this is huge. Now, you may be saying to yourself, oh man, the emulation community is going to take this and run with it. I'm going to say that is correct and not correct. So companies that are investing themselves who legitly are wanting to jump into emulation or be in emulation. Let's just take Dolphin, for instance. Dolphin is a GameCube and Wii emulator. Now, they are doing nothing by taking any code from Nintendo. They are doing all of their... They're making all proprietary software to make this work. They actually went on record on Twitter and stated, they even said, like, we cannot even peek at this stuff. We we do not want to look at it. We do not want it in our... We don't want it in our feeds. We don't We don't want it anywhere near us. We are legitly doing our own thing without all of that information. If we do or use any of that, it will compromise and, and it will allow Nintendo to take us down completely. So that makes sense. That makes total sense. So, so yeah, I agree and I disagree because, come on, you don't, you don't think, look, it's like a reference guide, right? It's like a reference guide. P people who are into emulation... Okay, they may not use, like they may not actually take these bits and pieces and then build something on that. But they're going to review some of it. I mean, come on, why would they not? Why would they not? Like, how about take whatever your biggest challenge or hurdle is with emulation on GameCube or Wii. You now have all the all the files, all the data, all the documentation to go look and say, like, what exactly were they doing with this? And like, read it, be like, oh, it was that. Okay. Well, I'm not, okay, well, I'm not going to use any of that, but now I know how I need to kind of tweak and overcome these obstacles. It's like a reference guide, man. I think in time, once this cools down, it will never be like cooled down. But once people forget about this and like years have passed, mark my words, folks, guaranteed we're going to be on China Direct, AliExpress. There are going to be Wii clone consoles, all-in-one built-in units from China out the wazoo. And not going to lie, I would buy one. I really would. I really would. Especially with the data that they have now. Because you know what? Some people give a shit, and but a lot of people don't give a shit. They're like, you know what? I'm going to take this data, and I'm going to fucking make my own Wii. I'm going to build it. I'm going to use their shit, and I'm going to just put it online. I mean, like, man, that's going to be tempting. That's going to be tempting to, to not buy a, a Wii all-in-one console on AliExpress in five years, to be honest. But uh, no, I do. I mean, I feel bad about the whole thing for sure. It's definitely a, a problem for Nintendo. And they've just been getting hit left and right with things, haven't they? It's just really been a bad day. Really been a bad day for them. So yeah, yeah. And uh, to, to finalize this and to wrap it up, what else leaked in there too is not only the Verilog files and all this documentation uh, uh, and all these, all these files and all this code and all this stuff, but there were documents in there as well. This is a very fascinating thing too, because inside all of this, an internal Nintendo PowerPoint presentation from the company was discovered inside this leak as well. 
And it explains why the company continues to use friend codes instead of using unique usernames, which is crazy. You remember how we always talk shit about these long ass friend codes? Well, it's really, it's interesting. I saw it on Twitter. Someone posted the, the documentation like, hey, look at this PowerPoint. And it was this like 30 or so page presentation PowerPoint that somebody was giving, right, at Nintendo to the team or whatever about Wi-Fi, Nintendo Wi-Fi connection, about friend codes, about bridging the gap between having it be simple and convenient and non-confusing for players to get online. Nintendo, very, very um, customer forward thinking in that regard about keeping it simple, allowing the, the gamer to get online and make it simple and free. My how things my how things have changed. Let me get my mouth working here. Crazy, right? Anyway, so this leaked PowerPoint. Um, it said on here there is a high probability of duplicate screen names if they use screen names, thus conflicting with the idea that nothing regarding the games should be hard to set up, including picking a name. So they even were thinking like, even you picking a screen name, a username is difficult. Let's just take that out of the equation and just give you a friend code. That is your friend code. It's attached to your console. Boom. Easy peasy. That's what they're thinking. Simplify it. Just give you one. You don't even have to think about it. They also said it, it would be possible to possibly guess someone's username by trying different variations of their actual name, conflicting with the comfortable principle that they had as well. They, always, they had all these different principles about what they want for their online um, community for online gaming on Wii. It's, really cool to see. Uh, the comfortable principle is Nintendo's design philosophy regarding online play. So the company wants so that the user always has the option of playing with friends. And according to the PowerPoint presentation, having people guess usernames could prevent this. Somebody with the username John could get tons of friend requests from random people just because of their simplicity of the name. Uh, Polygon, as uh, a website I pulled this from, who reported on this, said that they've reached out to Nintendo to confirm the data in this leak in the documentation. <laughs> that is going to be an interesting conversation. Can you imagine? Hey, uh, hey, Big N, how you doing? Um, we want to confirm the uh, authenticity of this document, this leaked document about uh, Nintendo Wi-Fi and screen names. I mean, what the? Can you imagine that conversation? The legal department's gonna have a fucking heyday. Crazy stuff. Uh, okay, let's move on from some Nintendo stuff. Let me take a drink here. Boy. It's popping. Shit's popping. Some drama with Dying Light 2. You guys have been on Twitter recently. You've probably seen some of this drama. Uh, Twitter's been active this week with tweets from an ex-developer at Techland talking about the game's lack of direction. Uh, the report came from a Polish website who received the information from Dying Light 2 developers saying, according to the developer, the game has shifted focus back and forth between the story and game mechanics, leading to confusion over what Dying Light 2 should be. The game reportedly lacks a vertical slice. Uh, a vertical slice is a polished demo of the game developed early on to kind of determine which way it's going to go, what direction it will go. Uh, many of the issues seem to stem from a conflict between head writer Chris Avalone and Adrian Krasinski the game's creative director. Avalon wants to make a deep RPG experience. Meanwhile, while Krasinski has continually interfered with the narrative process, however, Avalon played down any conflict in a statement saying that he enjoyed working with Techland and that the situation was just part of the creative process. That's a great way to diffuse it. 
Um, Techland did go on to Twitter and respond to this because people were kind of like, wait, what is going on? This is like one of the most hyped games to come out. And um, yeah, people were freaking out about it. Like, holy shit, is it going under? Like what? There was also rumors that Microsoft was buying out Techland. And so that people were like leaving because they've lost. I think last year, the article was they lost about 50 employees uh, due to game crunch, which is like, you know, the time when developers are having to work on a game and, you know, <laughs> under very, very strict time crunches. And some employees, you know, they, they're like, fuck this, and they bounce. And that, that happens. Um, it's a real thing. But Techland did respond to this on Twitter. Um, they said here, quote, in case you guys wonder, Techland is not being acquired by another publisher. We are still an independent studio and will deliver Dying Light 2 on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. That's what they said. Boom, put it to rest. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's rough, you know? It's it's rough when you have conflict of interest and, you know, different opinions, especially when it comes to the creative side of things. Creative sides on anything are so subjective. And um, if you have somebody who wants it one way and you have a creative um, entity there, I think the problem is, is that no matter what happens, they may take the input, they may listen to you, but in the end, they're always going to just have it be however they want it. The boss rules the kingdom. The king rules the kingdom, right? So... Uh, yeah, that's rough. That's rough. Um, all right, so how about Microsoft? No, they didn't buy Techland. But did Microsoft just reveal the Series X boot-up sound? Did they do that? In a teaser video on Thursday on May 7th, Xbox Series X gameplay event, Microsoft seemed to reveal the Series X boot animation and sound. It said on here, quote, a boot-up a new episode, let's see, what does it say? A boot up into a new episode of X Inside Xbox this Thursday. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was the caption. So they use the term boot, and I think this is it. I actually have the YouTube video. I'm going to play it. Let's listen to it together. I think it'll be really fascinating to see. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of liked it. I liked it. Let's see what we have here. If it will even play. I love it. I love it. I love it. How does it sound retro and modern at the same time? So many bits of that remind me of early Windows, like 98 startup XP. I hear 360 in there. How how do they incorporate all of that? I think that's a, you know, let's hear it again. That was wonderful. Here we go. Is it just me or do I hear some PS1 about halfway through that? I hear a little PS1 startup. I mean, that's like sacrilegious. I shouldn't even say that. Like, what? No. All the Xbox fans that they're like, hey, shut the fuck up, Jay. What is your problem? But no, don't deny it. You know you heard it in there too. Let's find it. It's right here. Hold on. Right there. Is right there. And then that little sound at the end. I don't know if that's included in it because they had like this text that popped up right there. 
So that could be just like a placeholder, but that is very PlayStation 1. Right there. Matter of fact, you know what? Matter of fact, let's do this right here on the spot. You know, because you, I know you're all tripping on me right now. You're like, wait, no way. No way. Here it is. Come on. You heard it in there. It's in there. Don't even trip. Yeah, it's nice. I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that's a, a brilliant startup sound. So I don't know if that's the real thing. But uh, it should be if it's not. Uh, moving on, Anim Amazon's first big-budget AAA game is launching very soon. Crucible, a new free-to-play PC game from Amazon's original game development team, is launching May 20th. The game is a sci-fi third-person shooter that mixes together a bunch of popular game designs, including components of team shooters like Overwatch, battle arena games like Dota 2, and BR games like Fortnite, and responds Apex Legends. It sounds <laughs> putting all those together in one game, folks. I don't know if this game doesn't do well. I don't know what to tell you. It's got to be because you hate Amazon. There's no other reason around it. No, this is a, this is their first big budget AAA game, and uh, looks good. Yeah, so that's coming out very soon, May twentieth. So be on the lookout for that. I think they're really hoping for it to go towards Twitch and esports. I really think that's what they're trying to lean towards. Like they would be pleasantly happy if it went the esports route. So we'll see what we'll see what's happening. We'll see. Um, I should have put this article next as opposed to Crucible there, but um, interesting discussion to look at console sales over time. Uh, there was an article I was reading earlier about they were talking about the like lack of switches that are available because of COVID and all that. And how people are scalping them and all that sort of thing. This is like a reoccurring trend right now. But people were saying like, people want to buy Switches. And Switches are selling out. But Xbox Ones and PS4s, readily available. And people are like, wait, what is going on? Like, what are the sales figures? There was some like conversation about it. It was like just an interesting topic. So here are some numbers for you, which I find very fascinating. These are lifetime sales, or at least on some of these up until this point. Um, PS4 released in 2013, currently 108.9 million consoles. Nintendo Switch released in 2017, 52.4 million consoles. And Xbox One released in 2013, same, same time as, uh, uh, PS4, 2013, 46.9 million. So PS4 is almost pretty much doubled and then some, the sales of the Xbox One in the same amount of time. Whereas Nintendo Switch has sold about, well, about 5 million more. And it was released four years later. Think about that. That's insane. Those are insane numbers. Very interesting to look at last gen numbers. Now, these are completed because we have uh, obviously all the, the figures from that from the last gen. PS3 sold 87.4 million consoles. Xbox 360 sold 84 million. Very, very close. You know, very close. Um, and then a generation before that, I have PS2 and Xbox numbers. The PS2 sold 155 million best-selling console in, uh, of all time. 
And the original Xbox, the very first one, 24 million. Holy shit. So not even a fraction of what the PS2 sold. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that's some gaming stuff for you folks. Some gaming news. I'd love to talk about a little bit of tech news. Um, tech stuff. We haven't talked about Apple a whole lot. Apple's been kind of quiet. Um, you know, they've been chilling. They've been kind of just doing their thing. Uh, but recently they did come out with their new 13 inch MacBook Pro. Today, Apple announced an update of the 13 inch MacBook Pro with a new magic keyboard for the best, okay, this is the blurb from Apple, okay? I'm going to read it from Apple. This is what they say. And I'm stopping it right here because the last keyboard they released was fucking garbage. Everyone hated it. It was defective. In fact, Apple will replace keyboards on your MacBook Pro, MacBook Air if they're defective. Dude, I, I know guys at work that had that MacBook Pro for like, Two months and the keyboard was already malfunctioning. Like buttons weren't working. It was terrible. The scissor switches, terrible. So at least they listened and realized that they made a mistake and they fixed it. Hopefully, we don't know for sure. Magic keyboard for the best typing experience ever on a Mac notebook. That's not saying much because last time it was the fucking most terrible thing I've ever typed on. Um... Delivering even more value to the most popular MacBook Pro, the new lineup also offers the 10th generation processors for up to 80% faster graphics performance and makes 16 gigabytes of faster 3733 megahertz memory standard on all configurations with powerful quad-core processors, the brilliant 13-inch retina display, touch bar and touch ID, immersive stereo speakers, all-day battery life, power of Mac OS... Uh, and an incredibly portable design, yada, 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 yada. It's available for order today starting at $1,299 or $1,200 for education. It all doesn't matter unless they fix their fucking keyboards. Here are some of the stats. 1.4 gigahertz quad core. Here's the base model. I wanted to just show you guys. This is the base model. All right. 1.4 gigahertz quad core 8th gen Intel Core i5 processor. Uh, turbo boost up to 3.9 gigahertz, almost 4 gigahertz. Intel Iris Plus graphics, 645 card. 8 gigabytes of 2133 megahertz DDR3 memory. 256 gigabyte SSD storage. 13 inch, uh, yeah, yeah, with True Tone, la da da, Magic Keyboard, Touch Bar, yeah, yeah. Two, two Thunderbolt ports. Two Thunderbolt 3 ports. So no USB ports at all. It's all Thunderbolt now. Um, I don't know, man. I'll be honest. I feel like I bet you it's optimized very well and I bet you it runs great, but I'll be honest for 1300 bucks. Ah, and yes, you can get shit done with the i5. I know you can. And it's, you know, it's quad core. I get it, but it's okay. Yeah. You can turbo boost it. I know, but like for reals though, I just feel like it's underpowered. Is it just me? I don't know. And I know you can upgrade it, blah, 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 but then you're going to spend two grand. And if you're going to spend two grand on a fucking laptop, uh, uh, let's be real. And I'm a, look, I'm a fan of Apple. All right. I own a lot of Apple stuff. I own an iPhone and I, uh, I have a fucking 2008 MacBook right here, right? From 2008, the old MacBook. I got an iMac for my studio. I love it, but I do feel the money doesn't go as far with Apple. And you're paying for that Apple tax. You know what I mean? 
that and I just feel that uh, I feel a lot of things. Maybe we can talk about it down the road, but um, I just feel like it's a little underpowered for what you get, to be honest. And I know they want to start base model. They're trying to give, they're trying to hit a market of students or somebody who just needs a, an email pusher or something portable, something where they can just video chat, they can FaceTime, they can check their email, they can Skype, they can Zoom, they can hang out and they can maybe do a little bit of creative stuff on the side just for fun. That fits that market. I get it. Still, you can spend actually less than half that and get a fantastic laptop on a, like a, get a Windows 10 machine or something. Yeah, you have to do with Windows. But the same argument could be the, said the other way around. Yeah, but then you could deal with Apple. <laughs> you know, you, you can't really win. I don't know. Get a Chromebook. I don't know. Well, then you're dealing with Google. Fuck. Susan. Fuck. <laughs> oh, fuck. So, yeah. Anyway, that's pretty cool, though. At least they've hopefully fixed that keyboard. Uh, Frontier, the airline. Frontier is charging you to social distance on their flights. Wait, what? I don't even know what the fuck I'm reading. I don't even know what the fuck I'm reading. Frontier touts the new charge as the more room pledge. They say here, quote, while we believe the best measure to keep everyone healthy is to require face coverings for those who want to, but for those who want an empty seat next to them for extra space and peace of mind or simply additional comfort, we are now offering the more room Frontier package trip around the world. <laughs> no, they're calling it more room. And uh, yeah, okay. So the extra fee is a guaranteed empty middle seat. All right, it's going to be between 40 bucks and 90 bucks, depending on the route and the flight. It will be an effect starting this Friday. This was last week, and it will run at least through the end of August, if not later. Frontier is also requiring face coverings for all passengers. That makes sense. And in the gate area as well as in when they board as well. Um, it will be implemented mandatory hand washing and health screenings before boarding and a bunch of other safety precautions. So they're taking safety precautions for when you're bored, when you're on the flight, which is very smart. But they're charging you 40 to 90 bucks for the seat next to you. Every other major U.S. airline is also mandating face coverings for passengers. But so far, none of them, except Frontier, is charging for passengers to get a seat that's empty next to them to avoid being breathed on. American Airlines, they've blocked off half of the middle seats. They're not even selling them. They just blocked them off. Alaska blocked off all of the middle seats, not selling them. Delta not only blocked bookings for middle seats, but also blocked off seats and other configurations to space passengers out more effectively. JetBlue has limit the seats that they are selling. They've actually cut back on how many they're selling for their flights. These, these, these airlines are not charging people. They're just, they're actually cutting back. Which makes sense, right? It makes sense. Um, that's crazy shit. And then at the end of the article, this is very interesting. Here's the uh, whoop, whoop, whoop. This just in. This just in. Following public outcry and under pressure, Frontier being under pressure from members of Congress, in fact, Frontier, late Wednesday, a few days ago, stepped 
up and stop this policy to charge a fee for the more room seats. They said, we recognize the concerns raised that we are profiting from safety and this was never our intent, CEO Barry Biffle said in the statement, and they have stopped doing that. Woo, that's, that's rough right there. That's rough, boys and girls. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, Intel and NVIDIA. There's a new merger in mobility that they've grouped, on, uh, grouped up with. On Monday, Intel said it was buying mobility app MoveIt, M-O-O-V-I-T, MoveIt, for a cool $900 million, just pocket change for them. Three years after it acquired Mobileye for $15.3 billion. So with the addition of MoveIt, Intel hopes to build out Mobileye as a complete mobility provider with a forecast market of $160 billion by 2030. I had no idea about either of these companies, so I had to look some up. MoveIt offers offers. <laughs> MoveIt offers offers. MoveIt offers users information on public transit and shared scooter and bike networks. All right. Prior to that acquisition, MoveIt had raised about $131.5 million on their own in funding. Wow, that's incredible. Including an investment from Intel Capital, according to Crunchbase, which is where the article here came from. It is said here, quote, with this acquisition, Mobileye will be able to use MoveIt's large proprietary transportation data set to optimize predictive technologies based on customer demand and traffic patterns, as well as tap into MoveIt's um, a re a repository of more than 7,500 key transit agencies and operators and improve the customer experience for more than 800 million users worldwide, Intel said in a statement. Sounds like a, sounds like a pretty uh, big deal for the, uh, the mobile uh, scooter and uh, vehicle market there. That's uh, that's something big. So yeah, but I, you know, Intel, man, doing big things, and also Nvidia, man, Nvidia stepping up. You know, they're they're actually on the front lines too of doing autonomous vehicles. Uh, in fact, they're uh, they're developing right now. They've been over the last couple of years, but even right now in uh, Tucson, I know they're down there in Tucson. They are developing a, a fully autonomous semi truck uh, by using Intel or uh, by using Nvidia GPU technology all that RTX stuff. So radar and LIDAR and all that sort of thing. It's very, very fascinating stuff. I think it's very cool. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. You know, a little short and sweet, but that's all I got for this episode, folks. It's been fantastic. I have a few voicemails. We'll get to the voicemails. But uh, yeah, the gaming and tech news. Yeah, we've been rocking it. Hey, you want to jump on the phone lines? You want to give me a call? Talk about something that's going on in your life? Talk about some gaming? Talk about some tech? Maybe some stuff you're playing. Maybe about all this. Maybe some of the stuff I talked about. What do you think about the new new MacBook? What do you think about those old school scissor keyboards that are terrible, huh? Yeah, what do you think about that? What do you think about Amazon's new AAA game, huh? And what do you think about that Nintendo leak? Oh, my goodness. That's probably the biggest one out of all of them, to be honest. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. Give that a call. Goes right to my voicemail. I'm not even going to like reject your call. I'm just going to send your ass to voicemail, just straight to voicemail. That's okay. That's more convenient for you. I understand. 503-908-5490 is the phone number. Or if you don't want to call that because it's long distance or you're outside of the U.S. in another country, you can just record yourself and email it over. HeineHouseLive at gmail.com, baby. Send it on over. 
Send it over. Send it over, baby. Let's jump into the hotline. All right, we're going to jump right into the phone lines here. Got a uh, couple voicemails here. Looks like we got one from the homie Chris, one from the homie Cameron. Let's go ahead and jump in here. Hey, Jason. Chris from BC Canada here again. Hi, Chris. Uh, so um, my question for you this week is, are there any games that have fucking terrible meta scores or critic reviews uh, that you defend that you think are actually better than they are given credit for. If I could pick one, it would be Duke Nukem Forever. I think the game is fairly flawed. It has a lot of issues. Yeah, it does. Uh, being it's multiplayer, it's atrocious load times, mm -hmm. uh, and the mini Duke levels are terrible as well. Oh, the kitchen level Anything fuck of platforming off. in that game was terrible. Yeah, I hate it. Um, but it was a fun, solid, underrated, like that generation first person shooter kept the spirit of Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, it was still tongue in cheek and making fun of itself. Totally. It, it had that vibe that Duke Nukem 3D had, even if it wasn't nearly as good. I would have liked to see more Duke Nukem after that, especially given how Doom and Wolfenstein are doing. Yeah. So yeah, just, uh, what are your kind of dark horse, uh, terribly reviewed, but you defend them because you think they're actually good games? Not guilty pleasures, but I'd actually defend Duke Nukem. I'd give it at least a 6 out of 10. Personally, probably a 6.5. Yeah. So, all right. Later, Jason. Have a good one. What up, Chris? Yeah, man. Uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I, I agree completely. You know, when we're talking about Duke forever, you have to understand, too, people bashed it and all that sort of thing. It's like, you're talking about Duke fucking Nukem, okay? Like, we knew it was going to be like this. We knew it was going to be. It's supposed to be like that. It's tongue in cheek. It's he doesn't take himself serious. He is he's he's a fuck off, right? It's Duke. So yeah, we knew it was gonna be bad. Look, I'm with you on that. I was there day one. I bought it day one. I was looking forward to it. I'm all about it. I think it's a great game. Is it flawed? Yeah, absolutely. Everything you said, you pretty you nailed it, dude. You nailed it. It's got a lot of problems, a lot of issues. I hate the fucking kitchen level when you're little Duke and you're running around. And then the RC car, I thought I'd really like that part where you're driving around. Dude, it's just it's not fun. It's terrible. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Um, I have I have a few that I'll tell you. Number one, uh, Aliens Colonial Marines. Steph just yelled she loves that game. You know what? I, what? Oh, you? I, I actually think I, I enjoyed it. Her and I we played it co-op. All right, and we went through the entire game. Now, how many times did we get stuck? And how many times did we like have to reset because we got stuck in an area because of clipping or? Um, uh, um, a quick time event didn't trigger or we had some sort of weird like boss battle glitch. It was unreal. I remember just laughing to myself like, are we going to break this level? Are we going to break this level? And we ended up just breaking it. And not, we didn't even do anything. We're just playing the game. So yeah, the game's totally broken. I think it has a meta score of like 40. So that's actually, that's actually kind of high, kind of average. Um, but even still, story was terrible. The writing was terrible. Everything about it it felt rushed. It was broken. I know. But you know what? For some odd reason, Chris, we played at co-op and we could not stop playing it. And we went through the whole game and it was fun. I don't know why. And it was weird. I'm usually pretty picky with my shooters. Like I didn't have any field of view adjustment. I didn't have like frame rate issue like adjustment. I just went through it, man. We just went 
had fun with it. That game has been bashed and will continue to be bashed. But you know what? It was a it was a fun experience and I liked it. I liked it. So, you know, if people don't like it, and then whatever. So that's number one. Number two, this one right here. Monster Truck Mayhem on Wii, baby. Some shovelware. Shovelware. I love these little shitty ass racing games on Wii. Only in first uh, uh, single player though, because when you get two players or more, the frame rate just gets really, really shitty because can't, we can't handle it. So you got to play one player to get that nice, you know, 28 and a half frames. <laughs> but, you know, these little shitty games are fun. I, I like this. I think this particular one, you race through like some of the neighborhoods and like crashing through like uh, fences and like light poles. And, and honestly, I found myself, I found myself playing this for like an hour, an hour. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? And I really had a good time with this. So Monster Truck Mayhem, this game here. Um, in fact, it is only one player. Ha, fuck off if you got friends. Not compatible with the Wii Wheel. All right, compatible. Pretty nice. And it's made by Zoo, so it's terrible. It's already sign of quality. And um, yeah, I looked at Metascore just because I was curious. I was like, you know, I really like this game. I wonder how, ba how bad it's reviewed. It is so bad it doesn't even have a meta score. It's not even registered because it's so bad. It has two 100% negative reviews on it. And it's not enough to even trigger a meta score. But they're two, and they're terrible. And I bet you that's going to be just bottom of the barrel right there. So, Chris, I appreciate your, your questions. Thanks for coming through. Always a pleasure to hear from you, man. Hope you're doing well up there in Canada. Thanks for the call. Mr. Jason. It's Cameron, the voice on Baniac here. Uh, <clears throat> pardon my low voice, but it is in the morning. Um, Mr. Sexy Voice. Uh, I'm actually visiting my parents for a couple of days. Took the opportunity after all this craziness. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of uh, reminded me of, of a, a common occurrence of, of parents throwing away games mm. or anything kind of related to being you know, a, a kid, toys, <laughs> etc. Say it isn't so. Um, I got very lucky. My, my mom was always very good about not doing stuff like that, not mm. throwing away, you know, games or whatever. That's good. But uh, I did happen to keep all of my boxes for my games and instructions for most of them um, in this drawer, including all my 64 games, all my Nin or Super Nintendo. Nintendo was that was all long gone by that point, but mostly Super Nintendo, Game Boy, and 64. Um, unfortunately, those suffered uh when they cleaned out the drawer <laughs> oh, no. after i moved to college those all got trashed so all my boxes were gone sort of sad mm, um, that hurts that really so my hurts. question for you is have you had a similar experience um with uh any sort of item from your childhood that's been thrown away I, I have a theory um without mom's throwing stuff away there would be no retro game store anymore because everybody would have kept everything that's sort of hyperbole, but, you know, you can almost make a case for it. But uh, anyway, take care, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, I haven't recovered from that. <laughs> I haven't recovered. That hurts, man. That hurts. Yeah, you know, and this is a this is a common thing. It happens. <sighs> Cameron, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you just to, I need you to walk into your parents' living room. I want you to walk over to a china cabinet. I want you to open up her china cabinet and then I just want you to yell, hey, mom. And then when she comes in, 
Just be like, you know, the, the drawer in there with all the games you threw out. And I want you just to grab one of her china. And I just want you to pull it out. And I want you to see the look on her face. And then, then I want you to put it right back in there and then close the cabinet really nice and be like, I would never throw any of your stuff away. See what she says. And then be like, I'm just kidding. And then go give her a hug, kiss her, tell your lover. <laughs> that's something I would do. Oh my goodness, man. Yeah, that's rough. That's rough. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's hard, man. I feel bad for you. I feel bad that you lost all that stuff there. But hey, it's just stuff, right? You, you, you can get it back. If you want to buy it all, recollect it over the time. Um, I did a really weird thing uh, in my younger years. I would, I would keep some of the boxes of some of the games I like really, really, really liked. But most of the time, I would discard and throw away some of the boxes of some of the games I didn't really care about. But I would take all of the manuals or all of the stuff out of them and then throw those in a bin. So I have hundreds of manuals for my games. And I'd say maybe half of them I have boxes, but not all of them, of course. But I have manuals for like everything. And it's really weird. I don't know why I did that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty dumb thing for me to do too, is throw that stuff away um, back in the day. And uh, yeah, it's rough. I don't, what were you saying? What was, the, what was the question? I don't even know what the question is anymore. I'm just tra I'm traumatized by thinking about memories of 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 that sort of thing happening i mean i feel i feel lucky my mom never uh would throw away anything like that uh she knew how important a lot of that was at the time and um ah man but you know there's there's there comes a time right when you move on and it makes sense for them to be like yeah they moved on they don't play with these little kitty video game stuff anymore and throw it away it's understandable but uh yeah man it's uh it's a rough gig. It's a rough life. I think I think that's a great argument, though. I think you can have that argument of saying that, hey, there's, there may not even be retro stores around, you know, if, uh, if, if things weren't discarded. Because if everyone just kept everything, then, you know, what's the deal? You know, we have everything. And I, I think that the reason why people go to retro stores or people continue to collect or start collecting at some point in their life, this, we actually talked about this a couple episodes ago, is that, you know, you start to form some sort of nostalgic memory to the games that you had and the memories attached to them. And you want to revisit that, whether you be in that a different part of your life and you're like, you know, what, I'm ready to get back into it and collect and have a hobby and do fun things. That's why it comes back. And it's a lot of fun. And it's the thrill of the hunt. It's always been about the thrill of the hunt. And I can't wait for this COVID to be done with so that we can get back to our, our lives and attend conventions. And I would love to go out and game, game hop and Hell, I just would like to go out thrifting again and go to Goodwills and look for stuff and film some stuff and get out and get back to normal life. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Steph just said, uh, said to uh, and look for some new CDs for my DJ sets. Absolutely. You know, right there. She went in the, she went in the bedroom the other day, uh, last night actually, as I was setting up things. She brought out an MTV party to go. And she's like, look, MTV party to go. You should import this and play some of this. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I, do you guys remember those MTV party to goes? They were a complete mix. Like the first, maybe six to like eight songs were like DJ style, all mixed together into one. Right. It was like the top, they did maybe like the top 20 hits of the time and they mixed them all together and like dance. But then like they had like Coldplay and a bunch of other songs at the end that were like rock or whatever that didn't really fit 
that DJ like dance theme. So they like chopped him up and just like played him normally. So you'd play like half the album and be like all dance. And then all of a sudden it'd be like a slow jam. That was like number, number two on the charts it was a huge song, but it would be like a slow jam and then like a pop song and then like a, a rock song, like Foo Fighters would then show up, you know, but really cool, man. MTV party to go. Great album. Yeah, for sure. I'll have to like put those all in there. I've got a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah, I did. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned it. You were too busy playing animal droppings. You didn't hear it. You're, you're, uh, you're too busy digging in the dirt there. Looking for bells. Yeah, and you just tune me out usually anyway. Yeah, I love you too. <laughs> a little giggle. Um, hey, folks, thanks for listening so much. Hey, give it up for the patrons you see right here on your screen, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed this episode, enjoy any of these shows, for that matter, please consider supporting and joining the Patreon gang here. Patreon.com slash Jason Heine. Everything from the ground floor, main floor to game loft. The main floor is where, uh, from there, plus is where I talk about my, I do an after party every month and we talk about things that I go a little bit more in depth about. Uh, this, this month, actually, I may even do two, just depends. But this month, I'm going to do one for sure where I'm talking about my history with streaming talking about Justin TV days, what I used to watch, what I used to do, my DJ streams, how that began, how I began gaming, how it evolved, how I rebranded. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just break down my history from 2010 up to today. It's going to be really fascinating. I think it'll be a really cool episode. And uh, I try to keep the episodes around 30 minutes, but they usually, they usually run longer because I don't really give a shit. I just go in and have fun, talk about stuff. So, but thank you, Brandon, George, Aaron, Weldon, Tammy, Sam, Luke, Ryan, and Justin. I appreciate everyone who throws down and supports on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining. Heinehouse.com is the website. I hope you all have a absolute fantastic rest of your day. And to round out the show, I'm going to jump on over to my website and play one of my songs off of my video game remixes volume one. I've actually had a few people write to me recently I'm not sure if there's like a little resurgence happening right now, but uh, the video game remixes I did in 2012, that album is kind of starting to come back up and uh, people are listening to it again. And I had someone write and say, hey, man, you're going to do a sequel. You're going to do a volume two to this. You did this like in 2012. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I will. I will. So I'm going to start working on that, penciling down some songs and do some video game remixes. Volume two is coming out, but I'm going to play a great, great tune. One of my favorite games of all time. Killer Instinct. I did a, a remix of the main theme here. It's an absolutely brilliant song. It features the great metal guitar from Mr. Mike Turner. So we're going to jump right into it here. Heinehouse.com. This is also my Bandcamp page if you want to download the high-quality version. Folks, thanks for listening. You have a wonderful rest of your day, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye now. It's a seven-minute version, so dig your heels in. Let's go.
Whoops. <laughs> what happened? Hey, what happened? <laughs>